drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello, hello, and welcome. It's drive-by cinema. This is season four, mm-hmm. episode seven. With me, my co-host, Paul. Yes, I can confirm I'm not tied up. I am free to leave if I want to. And with me, my co-host, Richard. The podcast where we watch the movies so that you don't have to. Absolutely. Maybe I should start with last week. We were talking about All My Friends Hate Me. We were, weren't we? All My Friends Hate Me. Yeah. Already one of our most popular episodes for reasons... No way. We have no way of knowing. But thank you for listening. All My Friends Hate Me. Which was, remind me, a very, very good film about being scared in the English countryside. Okay. Probably all all the people who were in the film were listening to the podcast. It was more than above average, wasn't it? We criticised it because it is, in some places, categorised as a comedy and as a horror. Yeah. But that's not the filmmaker's fault. I mean, they when you make a film, you don't say which category. I don't. I don't imagine you don't you write your own cate- blurb. It just gets categorised, doesn't it? And category categories are meaningless anyway. As we keep tripping over. Maybe I need to aspect. rethink my score then. Well, we marked it down because it's not as horrific as a horror and it's not as funny as a full-on comedy. No, correct. And, well, I have more. Th- I have more to think about it. It's like the whole thing is that does he really have no sense of humour? I don't know because, like, if I was being chased by somebody and all my friends are actively suppressing the idea that it was a joke, I think I would take it seriously too. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely yeah. right. So I don't know what the conclusion was at the end. Like, are we supposed to think? It all happened because he has no sense of humour. Well, was his girlfriend joking about marrying him? Yeah, I think that's the thing we're supposed to ponder, isn't it? But then that would be him not taking a joke. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you can't, I can't see how she would marry him after he's, like, you know, hit somebody with a, with a, with a vase and kind of... Well, like, yeah, I mean, really, he'd be facing some kind of charge, wouldn't he, at that, at yeah. that point? It's, it's assault, isn't it, if you hit someone with a vase? Although maybe Mr. Plank deserved it. I mean, I, I won't want to condone random casual violence, but if there was somebody that needed hitting on the back of the head with a vase, it was it Mr. was Plank. him, wasn't it? Absolutely. Phew! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got away with it. We've had uh, very little in the way of listener-related corrections, so we must be doing a good job. Sure. Hence our burgeoning listener figures. Well, I guess people aren't really talking about movies this week, are they? I guess everybody, everybody in the UK is busy talking about Russell Brand, aren't they? Yeah, that's quite depressing, isn't it? Now, the thing is, he's Richard's favourite comedian ever. Richard loves, he's been to all his concerts, he loves him. So, Richard, how do you feel about it? That is a terrible slander. (laughs) Richard, he's said several times he can't stand this guy. So, do you feel vindicated in your dislike, in your your somewhat random dislike of this comedian? Do you feel somehow... No, no, because you can't come off sounding... You know, when something like this happens to a celebrity... No one gets any credit for saying I always dislike them. I didn't I mean, like that's... his scarily penetrating stare. Yeah, I, I mean, it just implies that maybe you should have done something about it. Or maybe you shouldn't have been laughing at his jokes ten years ago. But I, I didn't think he was that funny. But I thought it was just kind of a bit of a prejudice of mine, because he seemed very popular. But, mm-hmm. you know, he's got, he's got a kind of Fancy. Essex wide boy style, Lads mm. Maggie style of humour. With verbose but, vocabulary. Yeah, a foppish kind Dickensian, of... Dickensian, like a dandy about town. It's very affected, isn't it? And, and now it's mixed with it. this gone to India, become a guru kind of stuff. Yeah, well, that's intolerable. I mean, it is a bit, obviously, isn't it? 
I mean, nobody likes him lately, recently, except truly, you know, deplorable people. He's he's like one step away from selling vagina-scented, like, candles or whatever, you know. He does have the whole guru thing going on, though, doesn't he? He does, Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's referred to his own harem on several occasions. And yoga, which, let's face it, is just stretching. How can I say this? Like, the yoga teachers... I don't know which countries you've done yoga in. Have you, have, have you, I don't think yoga's your kind of thing, is it, Rich? Yeah, no, I can clear that list up very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but if you've ever been to a yoga class or tried yoga, you'll notice that, like, some of the male yoga teachers, like... Yes. ...get really handsy with how they correct your positions and stuff like that. When they're doing the downward dog. But what I was going to say is, did you have a chance to watch the Dispatches Channel 4 documentary? I did watch it, yes. Very informative, but I didn't really like the use of scary music, you know. It's like, let's make it a bit more like a court case and, you know, not a not a character assassination. There is this debate or this idea about whether trying people in the court of public opinion is legitimate, I suppose. I think it's a moot debate because it's unavoidable these days, isn't it? Yes. In terms of, in terms of famous people's lifestyle... The accusation is the guilt, isn't it? I mean, whatever, you know, if for whatever reason he somehow gets off. His his career is still ruined, isn't it? Yeah, he hasn't managed his reputation. In fact, mm. you know, he's generally played off that image, hasn't he? He has, yeah, yeah. So I suppose he's reaping the whirlwind. This is the upshot of that attitude. He's it? ridden the pipe and now he's in the foam, isn't he, really? Do you know what I mean? So. Is that a surfing term? It is, yeah. Okay. Well, riding the pipe was. I don't know about in the foam. I don't know if certain people's. I don't. I doubt they say that. To be honest with you, we've been chuckled no, at no, by various people not. in in camper vans across across Cornwall right this moment. Chuckle all they like. They're surfing in our poop. They oh. are. They are. My gosh. Okay. We haven't had any surge tides, but last time we did around here, I thought, wow, that's a lot of sheep muck to wash up on the shore. <laughs> Sheep muck. <laughs> it wasn't. It was just human turds that had been nicely rounded by the tides. Yeah. Oh, right. Like, I see. Beautiful. They're reduced to sort of bubble size. Yeah. But lots of them and pile quite high, really. The thing is, you can tell, Paul, because sheep don't use toilet paper or wear condoms. I think that's how you could tell. <laughs> you investigated. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Let's do a movie review instead. Yeah, that might be a good idea. But only after this... Infernal music. Here we go. It's now the traditional time where we ask, especially for one-word films, I think this is harder, we ask Paul to come up with <laughs> a name. What the fuck does he be doing for two hours? <laughs> Right, okay. Uh, it's just I get involved in the details and I kind of miss the bigger picture sometimes. Yeah, um, no, well... That happens yeah. to everybody, but most particularly to me. Okay, well, do you know, just before we started this this recording this episode, I was kind of struggling. I was reaching for the name of this thing because we were talking about another Korean film. And I was thinking, gosh, what's this film called? And so I remembered it before the podcast, which I usually don't. But following that, I've kind of brought up some details of it on screen and so I can tell you that this reliably is Broker from 2022. Yeah, so, Paul, you're tugging us toward the Korean film. Kind yeah, of we're having a whole Korean season out here. We're loving it. Well, I am. Or are we? Or are we? Oh. 
I mean, I know this film is set in Korea, but it's not oh, directed by Correct, Korea. yeah. Absolutely. It's directed by a Japanese director. His name is Hirokazu Koreeda. Koreeda, yeah. Correct. Written by him also. But it is packed with a lot of Korean actors who we've seen who in some of our other seen recent favourites. Now, the lead, the older lead guy here we have seen before, but I didn't know quite which one. Oh, he was in The Host and he was in he was Parasite? In the Host and The Parasite. Okay, there we go. I mean, a host is from quite a bit earlier, like a decade or so, yes. I think, isn't it? Yes, and he's got blonde hair in that. Yeah, I think he looks much older here than he did. I mean, he obviously is at least 10 years older. He is a lot older, he does yeah. look it. Yeah, he, he... Do you think he looks quite a lot older, yeah? I think he does, yeah. Yeah. I also think the other person who was in the host looks quite a bit older. Now, who was the other person in the host? Ah. <laughs> You've done uh, your research, you, Richard. What's going I, I on here? I knew we'd catch him out on that. Well, it's not difficult, is it? But go on. I believe it's the older policewoman. Wow. What was she doing? She was in the host. She was Namju, the daughter with the archery. No way. She's called Duna Bay. Duna Bay. Or Bay Duna. Yeah. Which way around is their name? I don't Bay know. Bay Duna would be the Korean way of doing it. Bay Duna. Korean names do slightly confuse me, so it's a bit embarrassing. Maybe you can do all the names for me. The other thing about Korean names is a lot of Korean names seem to be hyphenated. Yeah, that is the personal part of the name. That like the the like their first f- name, first and middle name. Yeah. Yeah. So their yeah. first name is actually a patronymic or family name, and then the, the, you, often they'll have two personal names, which come second and third, and are hyphenated to, to join them together, kind of thing. So why is that the case, though? Is, Put it another way. Why? Obviously, because Romanization was invented by Westerners, not by Koreans. Sure, yeah. And so someone who did that transliteration decided that a hyphen was an appropriate thing to put between two names. Yeah. Well, Um, I mean, the big thing about the Korean languages over the last 20 years, it's been de-sinicized. So now everything is in Korean characters, where if you turn up in Seoul or Incheon or Busan, around this Busan, this film's... Based around Busan, isn't it? Although we have a we have a road trip in essence. It is a road trip movie. It's a bloody road trip movie. Okay, I mean, if you turn up there twenty years ago, I mean, most of the railway stations will be written in Chinese characters because of the pervasive influence, influence of Chinese culture over the last two thousand years. You know, before Western industrialization and Western medicine arrived in the East, I guess the greatest cultural gravity was centered around China. They're using Korean to actively. Like foster the the self identity, I guess. Yeah, interesting. So, Chinese was the Latin of the East, essentially. Is what I'm right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, the other interesting thing is that despite not having any ability to read any of them, I think I can pretty accurately distinguish Korean script from Chinese yeah. script from yeah. Japanese scripts. You know the the pictograms are quite distinctive. Oh, very much so. Well, Japanese is complicated because, of course, they still keep their uh, kanji or or, or in, in Chinese, hanzi means the same thing. They still keep their Chinese characters, you know? But then there's two Japanese scripts, which are essentially alphabets. Uh, one is a curly, squirrely one, and one is a square, sort of straight one. And then they've right. got a Romanization script as well for, like, the Latin alphabet. Essentially, Japanese, they work with four different scripts, quite incredibly. 
And Korean has got lots of little kind of circles in it, which makes it very distinctive. I circles think. or lines, yeah. Okay, so Korean yeah. now, is, I mean, like I say, they've de-sinicized their, their writing completely. So Korean is just Korean. And Chinese yeah. is just Chinese, okay. of course. Well, thank you, Paul, for your cultural learnings. <laughs> I mean, I've been listening to podcasts about pinyin and stuff and how they started inputting Chinese into keyboards, stuff like that. And because of the way that they've now... Then they started using keyboards yes. to write Chinese. Chinese are now much better at predictive text because effectively they sort of chord, don't they, the first few strokes it's fascinating. of the symbol. And it knows exactly which characters you're going to want because of the context. And so oh. they're really quick at typing as a You opened up a delightful rabbit hole here. Where have you listened to that, Rich? Oh, Radiolab. Oh, which right. is a podcast I can heartily recommend. It was actually a repeat from a previous episode. I'll put a link in the show notes if I remember to. Paul, yes. let's talk about, let's talk about Broker movie. before the night is out. <laughs> just, just like the northwest of England right now, it starts in the night, exterior, rainy backstreet of Busan, as you said. Yes. A woman who we learn is a young mother is climbing the steps to a Christian church, apparently. I didn't realise it was a Christian church. It says family church or something, I think, according oh. to the subtitles. Were you subtitling it? No. Were you listening? Oh, yeah. Have you learned um, how to say I don't know in Korean yet? Because it's been quite a few. It, it, pro- it crops up quite a lot of the time. I have to say my ear would not probably be able to distinguish oh. words at the moment. But, well, Are you getting it's a used challenge, to sounds? isn't it? Yeah. I think so. Now, this so, young woman puts an infant in a little cot, I think, or you know, wraps up in a blanket or something, outside the church, right in front of a, of baby a box, box on the wall that says baby box. What is a baby box, Paul? I researched this, and sometimes they're called foundling wheels or something similar, as they were in the Middle, middle Ages. Foundling wheels? Or something okay. similar. Okay. It's essentially some weird contraption where you can put the baby... In an opening... Do you know the kind of uh, things you use at banks where you send money from, to and from the teller kind of thing? Yes, or indeed the kind of thing I use here in my apartment block to, to put my waste in the waste chute. <laughs> yeah, so it's a tray that opens up one side and therefore closes the other. When you push it through, it opens up on the other side. So that yes. kind of levered contraption where you pop the baby in and therefore it's put into a warm, lit environment... And in the Middle Ages, you were supposed to ring the bell as you left and scurried down the street and the nuns would come to attend it. Here, although I I researched, there don't seem to be many baby boxes in Korea apart from one or two churches. It's literally just a couple of places. They are common. No, I I heard the opposite. I thought that in Japan there weren't very many. Oh. But the director had heard that there were more in Korea. I looked. But maybe that... So I looked at the baby boxes, foundling wheels, or whatever they're called. They're still called foundling wheels, but in Italian, in Italy. And you look at the medieval ones, I think, wow, that is a very clever contraption, you know, to build out of stone and wood and that kind of thing. But I could only see mention of two in Korea. But usually now, in the modern, modern, modern era, as you put the baby in, it then rings an alarm for somebody to come to attend it. But she didn't put it in the baby box, did she? She left it. No, she didn't. Why, Why did she not put it in? She left it on the ground, right in front. Well, later she's challenging the movie, and they say, well, you wanted it to die, didn't you? She said, yeah, I kind of did. Or did she want to... Well, she said, was I... she thinking she might come back? She might change her mind? 
Well, then I think she said at some point, but I knew that somebody was watching, so... I don't know why she didn't put it in the box, but obviously... My theory is that the baby was too damn big, because that was one big baby. (laughs) Especially to come out of that slight girl. Crikey. (laughs) Anyway, she scurries off into the night. She's being watched, isn't she? She is being watched by by two police officers. By two women in a car. Yes, they're police officers. Yeah. And one of them goes to collect the kid... And she says to the other one, go and follow the, follow the mother. What the older one does when she goes to the kid is she picks it up and she puts it into the box. Yeah, because it's not the woman them monitoring. They want to monitor what would normally happen when this baby gets put in the box. That's right. Inside the church, a guy who, throughout this film, I think I called the vicar, but I'm not sure he is a vicar. But I thought he was wearing vestments when we saw him at this particular point in the movie. Right. But maybe I was wrong about that. He reads a note that was on the baby saying, I'll come back for you. And he's discussing with his assistant that she probably won't come back because they never do. They have a statistic later on, don't they? They say one in 40 come back for their baby. And it's always the ones that say, I'll come back and here's my number or something. So on that basis, the fact she's not left contact details, he's fairly certain she's not going to come back for the baby. And he tells his assistant to erase the security video which yeah. is trained on the baby box and obviously proves that a baby was put in there. Cunning. So they're obviously up to no, you know, no good, aren't they? Yeah. And then they drive away from the church with the kid in his minivan. <laughs> because he seems to work at a laundry, doesn't he? Or a, yeah. Is it a laundry? Or he, he does. Uh, his, his Korean name is Sang Hyun. Okay. Sang Hyun, yeah. He's the owner of the laundry. Under duress, because local hoodlums are pressuring him for... Doesn't seem protection. It seems for the return of payment and the interest on a loan he's taken out with them. And, of course, he's followed back to his place of work by the cop. Yeah, the older cop and is a real sardonic, gritty cop. Yeah. She's seen a she's lot. She's pretty cynical, yeah, yeah. The other one is much younger. She's following the young mother onto the subway, into shops and stuff. Presumably from the older cop's perspective is a bit green and maybe a bit of a bleeding heart yeah a bit naive perhaps yeah this young mother though she does come back doesn't she strangely yeah it seems to be kind of with mixed emotions really coming back to to not quite claim this baby or claim this baby i'm not quite sure what she's coming back for the staff there say well there was no baby and we didn't find a baby it wasn't put in the box etc and they've got no record of it And the vicar and the assistant obviously know what's going on. They try to cover for the whole thing. And then the assistant goes out and stops her from calling the cops and says that they plan to give the kid away or sell the kid, actually. Oh, this is Uh, a bit... I didn't really understand how they avoided her calling calling the cops. They just do a deal with her, basically. Yeah, they're basically saying she gave the kid away. She's got no rights to it. So the the cops won't see that she's, you know, still the legal guardian. Because she's effectively abandoned the kid. Yeah. And so he's, that's his pitch, anyway. And he's saying, look, we can sell this kid for a big adoption fee. It doesn't turn out to be a big adoption fee, does it? That's what they're telling her. Because obviously this young mother is quite desperate. She's a sex worker. It transpires, yeah. She's had this kid. Obviously she doesn't want to bring it up in that life. And no doubt she could do with the money. So she agrees that she'll let them find adoptive parents for this this young boy and they will share the money with her. 
Yeah. Now, as they're driving along later on, they can't, we kind of get the, the values involved. It's about 10 million won for a boy, 8 million won for a girl, which is just 10,000 US dollars. It's not a lot, is it? Well, it depends what circumstances you're in. I guess. I mean, if, if you're running a laundry and you're being leaned on by the local mob... Mm-hmm. Uh, for similar amounts of money, I think he's been lean on for five thousand US dollars. Yeah, and for the young woman, it's quite a lot as well, isn't it? And you know, you can make one of those every every nine months. Can't you? <laughs> <laughs> so she agrees what you're saying, Richard. Yeah, tentatively, she does agree. Yeah, yeah. She calls them brokers, doesn't she? She Which says it's the yeah. name of the movie. She says something because they're talking about compassion or some similar kind of. Faluting Christian words. She said, I've not heard that word in a decade. There's nothing compassionate about you two. You're just brokers. <laughs> well, they're going to have to jump in the minivan and go meet buyers. As they do so, the... <laughs> this minivan is just so... It's so decrepit, isn't it? Yeah, there's a knack to closing the tailgate. And if you don't do it right, it pops open. And we see... A couple of times this happening. They've even got a rope Pivotal on the inside of the minivan. Too, yeah. Now, Richard, so do you have any can... objects in your house that are like this, that have kind of decayed, but you keep them because you can't bother repairing them, and you, there's a knack to it? My kettle, kettle was being a bit like that. But actually, it's fixed itself somehow, so it's fine now. They go and see potential buyers, don't they? The first one doesn't go too well, does it? Because she, obviously, is new to the game, and she can't really... Rain in a temper, can she? Now, the cops are following. Their intention is to arrest them in the act of selling a kid. Mm-hmm. So they need, like, you know, a shake of hand, money exchanged or whatever. <laughs> it would help if they got some money and set that up in a way that wasn't quite entrapment, but probably is. Are they go- are they going to a place called Yosio? Yosio? That- yeah. Somewhere that has a cable car, anyway. Is that for the first selling or the second selling? I think that's the first selling. This movie is a great kind of travelogue of career, isn't it? There's some really amazing scenes here. It's beautiful country. I think that's true of Japan. I just thought, so. what a clever way to do a road trip. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, true. It's just such an inventive way to do a road trip. I was just so impressed with this. As they're on the road, the rear hatch does indeed open, but the assistant guy closes it with a rope. And they meet these prospective buyers who are, frankly, not impressed by the baby's thin eyebrows. <laughs> uh, they offer four million instead of six. Yeah. The mother is offended by all of this talk and insults them, calls them beggars, can't really keep her uh, emotions. That's really rude in Korea, you know. Like, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it should be all bowing and scraping when first meeting people. It would be rude anywhere. It would, it would. And so, like, afterwards, they're like, just be quiet when we're doing the deal, okay? <laughs> you could have turned those people round. It's all about the deal. There has to be some compromise. Anyway, afterwards, we see... No, uh, hang on, hang on. First, we cut to homicide cops. Different set of cops. These are cops looking at a dead body. Yes. A crime scene of a dead guy, which will become important later, but it doesn't seem to connect directly at this point, does it? And there's lipstick on the wine glass in the room where this, this corpse lies. And intuitively, they say, ah... Female murderer. Or a man wearing lipstick. Or a man wearing lipstick, yeah. Are female cops who are on the hunt for these children traffickers, if that's the right word, they're eating ramen noisily in a car, aren't they? So they wind up on the road trip where the assistant goes to see an orphanage where we learn that he used to be an orphan. 
That's right, the younger of the two, Dong Su. Now this is the road. This is the area of the road trip that I just found fabulous because they're they're taking a coastal road, aren't they? Uh huh. Yeah. And yeah. there's just some glorious kind of sea and sunshine, like some really light, almost breathless shots of the sea as they pass by fleetingly in a car, and yet they're in a very grave situation. I just thought some of the some of the choices for juxtaposition of their situation and the scenery behind them were just fabulous. It's so evocative. If you've ever been in that kind of situation where you're moving away or towards trouble and yet things feel so light and like a fairground ride, I just thought he chose some of these locations really, really well. Oh, and it's beautifully shot, no question. What's the older guy called again? Seung... Seung... Sanghyun. 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 He's applying a bit of makeup, isn't he? To the baby's eyebrows. For the next meeting, their intention is that he's going to pose as the dad mm-hmm. to make it more respectable, possibly. But the assistant is pointing out that he's closer in age. But because it's such a small town that they're in and everybody knows him, presumably they know who that kid is. In the orphanage, there's a kind of a slightly pudgy soccer fan kid yes. who's desperate to get adopted from the orphanage. It's worth saying, because I guess I didn't have this totally straight in my head, that the different ways for abandoned kids to be looked after. Kids with no parents wind up in an orphanage, which is like a communal institution yes. for parentless kids. I guess kids are looking to be adopted. Or fostered, whereby, Ah, so fostering and adoption, slightly different, aren't they? Yeah. What's the difference? Uh, fostering is a paid stint for parents. Where they, it's like temporary, I think, usually. Essentially, it? temporary. Whereas adoption, I mean, legally, you become... Not just the their parents, guardians, but their parents. The guardians, yeah. yeah, yeah well, yeah. their parent, you become their parent. So adoption is like a real attachment, long term, well, forever. Isn't yes, it, yeah. An ersatz parentage. Mm-hmm. Fostering is a paid job. Yes, but it is sort of one to one. I guess you could foster more than one kid, and then the orphanage is the institutional collective looking after of multiple kids and kids don't want to be in an orphanage. It's like being, well, it's effectively being in care, isn't it? So they want to be adopted so they have a proper family and get toys at Christmas and everything. I guess the ecology we have to understand. It is, yeah, yeah. You're grinning at me, but I guess I hadn't really thought about this. No, no, you've described the coral and where the star, starfish aims to go in the coral quite correctly, I think, yeah, yeah. And this little kid, the soccer-playing kid, he's eight, and the the two guys say, well, six is really the, the last chance to be adopted. True. You know, I, mean, they're, they're, I mean, there are some home truths here, aren't there? You know, teenagers I mean, just can't be adopted, can they, basically? Oh, it's very, very rare. But they do talk about adoptees don't have it all that great sometimes. Sometimes they get returned because the new parents can't deal with them. Sometimes the kids get abused by their adoptive parents. Not necessarily all bad to be in the orphanage, but... Still, the kid still wants to be adopted. Now, while they're doing this stuff in the orphanage, our cops are planting like a tracker or a bug or something in the van, aren't they? Did you manage to rent this movie, Richard? Because I had to buy it. I had to buy it. Oh, well. right, okay. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not mad about it. At this point, the uh, mother comes into the vehicle to change the kid's nappy and she's singing in a lullaby, isn't she? Oh. And I think the cops are surprised by this. Because they're assuming that she's got no deep attachment to a kid she's trying to 
give away or then say. I think this is some of the gentle humour is that they all increasingly start to really care for this thing they're trying to flog. They're trying to sell yeah. this baby and the men are just constantly holding it and taking care of it whilst they're discussing tactics and strategy. Uh, and it just becomes more than part of the furniture. It becomes part of them, doesn't it? It becomes an extension of all of them. But there's a moment where they have a discussion where she's saying, look, you know, how can you justify selling kids? And they're saying, look, someone threw them away, so we sell them. Hmm. They get placed in a in a home. What's what's the problem? Yeah, it comes out, obviously, that the assistant, as you say, Dong Su, I think he's called, he was an orphan himself. His mother left a letter saying she was going to come back. She never came back. He says he never wanted to be adopted. He always stayed at the orphanage that they you know, visit along the way. And all the kids at the orphanage look up to him because he must have lived and grown up in that orphanage. Mm. So he's like their older brother, isn't he? They eventually get back on the road, don't they? Yeah. And they discover... Oh. The mum and Dung Su are perhaps getting... The mum is called So Young. Yeah. <laughs> in Korean, you know, like that's her name. Not <laughs> that she is so young. But she is so young. But she's yeah, getting having, close she's to a... Dung, Su, Dung Su, isn't she? Yeah, they're having a bit of a thing. She's apologising for offending him about being abandoned and stuff in the morning. They head off, don't they, down the road with Baby and a stowaway in the van. Yeah, it turns out the footballing kid has hopped in the back of the van and he's heard all their plans, so he knows what they're going to do. How is he discovered? Does the back door jump open and then he's discovered? I think the older guy, he has a wistful look on his face at one point as if he'd maybe he saw it in the mirror but he just seems to kind of know that something funny in the van and stops it and opens it and the kid kid is hiding back there and the kid's like he's bright isn't he he's like for an eight-year-old or nine-year-old he's like i've heard everything uh, you know you've got to take me with me otherwise i'm gonna blab now at this point they could throw him over a bridge but they don't do do they meanwhile <laughs> no they don't throw him over a bridge meanwhile cops have been working the murder cops go to a brothel where the mum was working Right. And they figured out that the guy who was killed was possibly the father of the, the kid that was How did they work that out? I guess by talking to the, oh, the Mama-san right. and the oh, brothel, okay. whatever she's called. The two female cops, they've also learnt from their other team that the mum was a prostitute. And they've had a plan now to set up buyers, fake buyers, so that they can entrap, I suppose. In fact, the younger cop even goes... Is this going to be admissible if it's entrapment? It is Which entrapment, is fair, isn't it? It's a fair point. But I think the older cop says, well, they're going to do it anyway. We know they're going to do it. We're heading in more gorgeous countryside and very evocative countryside. There's a feeling of freedom coming over the group, isn't there, I think? And maybe elation, you know, that they're bonding. Because, uh, I mean, essentially, I think all of them are quite lonely people uh, in the van. And, but then they get stopped by the cops, don't they? Random traffic cops, I think. But what does he say, the copper? When he stops them, it was was there a light out or something? No, it was the it was the back door of the van. Oh, the back door of the van comes up again. Yeah, yeah, because they're all terrified. They think, oh my gosh, they know we're selling a kick, so they have them sort of pretend that they're a family on an outing. And he manages to uh, Sang Hyun manages to win the cop over by uh, the cop observing it's a dry cleaning van, and so he you know he gives some advice to the cop about about why. His shirt has come back so shrunken kind of thing. He's like, oh, the cowboys in the game these days, they've put that in the wet wash rather than the dry clean. Yeah. and they oh, Also, the that way. little soccer playing kid, Hai Jin, I think his name is, he really sells the the illusion that they're going to a water park or something, doesn't he? <laughs> he does, yes. Yeah. He proves himself to be a natural grifter. 
Um, and they all t- start to like him, I think, because he's so good at it. And the cop says, wait a minute, there are no Ferris wheels at the water park. <laughs> I, and he says, oh, well, let's go to Walmido instead. Walmido is a very famous amusement park in, in Korea. So, yeah, so they kind of all bond together in this, in this quest of lonesome heroes, don't they? They wind up meeting this fake couple, this acting couple. The guy is saying that This they, is funny. They've been given a script beforehand, haven't they? That's right, yeah. Apparently the guy has been told he has low sperm count, which he was very embarrassed about saying. They claim that they're in a de facto marriage without a marriage certificate. Yes, would happen in Korea, so that would be a reason for adopting and that kind of stuff. Well, it would be a reason why they would have to adopt under the counter. Illegal channels, yeah, yeah. 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 And so they press him about some of the treatments to raise his sperm count. And, of course, they're tricking him. They ask him about an ovulation drug. And he says, oh, yeah, I was taking that for fertility. And so rumbles. Yeah, that they're lying. But basically, they don't think it's a police setup. They think, oh, we know exactly what's happening here. It happened the other year. These people are just trying to take the baby so they can sell it on. Sell it themselves, yeah. yeah. So they're still not wise to the fact that they're being set up by the police. So it adds a certain amount of tension to me. But I kind of, we know they're going to get caught, don't we? There's a kind of inevitability about it all. They're bumbling, aren't they? Although I guess they've been doing this for quite a while, Mm -hmm. we assume. But they are chances, you know. I mean, most crimes go undetected, don't they, sir? You can chance They're it for a, a while. They're a little bit like Del Boy and Rodney, aren't they? Yes, these guys? very much so. Actually, they go into a car wash when they discuss all this. And the little football-playing kid opens the window whilst it's Little running. tyke. <laughs> they all get soaked, but they all think it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's some more remorse and levity here, aren't there? And the van is full of clean, dry clothes, so that's no problem. They all get changed into laundry clothes. We get an about turn, don't we? Okay. Does the younger cop, the younger female cop, not confront our female protagonist about the murder at this point? Yeah, the the young mum, so young, gets picked up by the cops, the two female cops. Oh, by the two cops, right. Basically, they've got a feeling that she's murdered this guy, so they're going to get her to cooperate to bust the broker, child-broking ring, as it were. They may give her a more favourable sort of... Plea um, bargaining kind of Yeah. They put a wire on her, don't don't they? Audio equipment. She goes back to the hotel that they're staying in. They've now split up into shifts to look after little baby. (laughs) Adorably. (laughs) And they're even thinking about bringing the the little eight-year-old into the shifts as well. Jokingly, I think, at least. But the kid is poorly, isn't he? He's got a fever. Yeah. They're all really worried about it. Take it to the hospital. The doctor examines it, says it's just a cold. But even the young cop was concerned for the baby's well-being when they're listening on the, the wire about what's happening. So how does it all end? We, a... go to the, we go to the funeral of the dead guy and a bunch of gangsters show up, the guys who have been shaking down the older guy in his laundry mm-hmm. business. The widow of the dead guy. So he's a hoodlum, the dead guy, that she had the baby with. Clearly, yeah. He's a, he's a head honcho, like in the local tough, tough gang, yeah? And she's heard about this baby being born and her dead husband probably being the father. She says she will raise it. She instructs the goons to go and bring it back. For lots of money. 50,000 US dollars, yeah. 40 million. 40,000 yeah, US 000. dollars, yeah. So a big okay. sale. Now, it's the goons that have been pressuring Sang Hyun and his laundry that they specifically detail to go and do this. But they call him and they know that he's dealing with this kid. They offer him 40 million for the kid. 
The young mum excuses herself from the hotel, goes out to meet the cops again because they want to see her. I think they sent her a text message. Right. They're discussing, you know, how things are going and how she got into this, why she killed that guy. She says at the time, actually, that he asked her to lick him before he showered. <laughs> but I don't think she was being serious. I think we learn later that he'd actually wanted to take the baby away from her, which right. is why she killed him. And they uh, ask obviously her why she said, she... over your dead body, and he didn't really read the cues correctly. <laughs> the older cop also asked her why she left the baby outside the box. That's when she comes to justify the action again. Yeah, okay, that's the moment in the movie. Yeah, sorry, go on. It's a bit confused, though. She says aborting it would have given it no chance, but she was kind of leaving it to, to die, die on the, the steps as cold. well. Yeah, yeah. There's a brief tussle as well. She fights with the cops. But yeah, she says that she killed the guy because he was going to take the baby away from her. So she obviously cares for it. The guys, meanwhile, they've realised that they're selling this kid to the murder victim's wife. Dong Su also finds the cop's GPS tracker in the van. But because it's so old and manky, he assumes that it it's, must have been planted by the hoodlums rather than the cops. Why? Because he said the cops would never use anything so out of date. So they've all resolved to try and find a buyer that mum can live with. That's right, not, yeah. Not the dead guy's wife and not people who think his eyebrows are too thin or that he's... Mum's a tramp. And the police don't need to set this up as a tramp because she's now wired so they can follow everything perfectly well. Dong Su puts the tracker on another vehicle. We see the older guy talking to one of the gangsters, trying to do this deal. That's right, yeah. yeah. But he tells him he won't sell to the wife because she'll just sell it on, they assume. Mm-hmm. The gangster gets aggroed and Dong Su arrives just in time. That's right, yeah. He puts the gangster in a sleeper hold uh, <laughs> and leaves him out. <laughs> and Sanghyun's like, you killed him? He's like, no, he's just out yeah, cold. Help he'll me, be fine. Help me drag him in here. And it did seem that he had killed him. No, he just choked him out, Paul. Oh. It's perfectly normal to cut the blood supply off to someone's brain. <laughs> they go out for a few minutes. He's off. A few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> he's alive later on. He is alive later on, yeah, sorry. Well, the cops are obviously struggling to follow the gang now because they took the tracker off. The gang, anyway, leaves the vehicle... They board a train to Incheon? Yes, to Incheon, yeah. That's where Walmido is, so that's why they'll be going to Incheon. An amazing bullet train that it pierces through the beautiful Korean countryside and the mountains, the forest-covered mountains. Absolutely great views, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But the mum has texted the cops the destination anyway on the way there. Now, this last couple uh, who are looking to buy the baby, they seem to be the perfect couple for the kid. I, hadn't they kind of like turned it down the first day because they had oh, some unreasonable same... demands? Yeah, they they'd were... said originally that don't they want the didn't mother to want ever... the mother to ever see it again. Yeah. But they've relented on that point, haven't yeah. they? And so it seems like the perfect couple to sell or pass the baby on to for a significant fee because they're prepared to pay a lot more than the previous, the previous couple's. And the lady asks if she can go and breastfeed the kid, who's called Wu Sang. In fact, the mum says, you know, she named it Wu Sang because it means wing stars. Oh. Wu Sang. So is it normal for Korean names to be figurative like that, to mean something? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, arguably, I suppose all names mean something, don't they? But in in the West, not tangibly. Yeah. Really? Hmm. What does Paul mean? Paul means small. Ah, uh, so Saul doesn't mean small, but Paul does mean Saul small. Saul doesn't, no. That's confusing. 
You know what Richard means? Better call Saul Paul. Right, and Richard, I do know. It means Lionheart or something like that. No, Richard the Lionheart. Okay, it doesn't mean Lionheart. Richard <laughs> means Brave Warrior or something like that. No, it means Hard Ruler. Oh. From the Germanic Rex I hard. much prefer a Shatterproof Ruler. What about, what about this, Paul? Oh, that's the good old... Richard is now showing a good old technical drawing, as it used to be called, I guess we would be called DT these days, Metal Ruler that you might also Steel, use in woodwork. Yeah. That's amazing. Isn't it? I was intrigued to find out that tape measures that that lippy bit at the end is supposed to waggle. Yeah, because I the, never knew that's that. That's right. If you're pushing it, it, it in, it waggles or it by. Out. It waggles by the thickness of the edge, so that if you hook it on the end, the zero get the comes inner to the right point. Yeah, and if you push it against something, again it pushes in, so the zero is at the, at the, the end right point. kind of thing. Wow. She's talking about names to the little kid, Hagen, mm-hmm. which apparently means going out to sea. Yes, it does. Like seamen, I suppose. Although you might not call your kids seamen these days. Certainly <laughs> not the first name. No. So, no, I mean, like, figurative names. I guess you call these figurative names. One of your meaningful names. Like, you can tend to date somebody by the fashions of the naming. Yes. Well, of course. Names are intensely fashionable. Aren't but they? the gang, they're thinking about this deal with this couple. And they hop on a tourist bus, they go to a fairground... They have a whale of a time, like a family, don't they? Oh, very evocative here when they're on the on the big wheel. Well, the very slow on the wheel. Big wheel. Yeah, kind of enclosed. Because I don't. You call them carousel coach a, wheel. A, I don't know. A car. Car wheel. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So So Young and Dung So share a car, and he suggests raising the kid together. Mm-hmm. There's a moment between them, but I think she knows that she's in trouble. She's going to have to be arrested at some point. Yeah, it's, uh, but it's the aching slowness of the ride that just makes it just... I don't know. I, it's, I, it's just chosen this so well because it just really connects with the dialogue. Sang Yun is always take, he's going with the little kid, Hai Jin, okay? And they're very evocative. The kid just, you know, has some sort of vertigo attack at the top. And, you know, he's cradled. He looks after him, doesn't he? Yeah, by Sang Yun. He's a good dad. He then goes on his own to meet his daughter that he's estranged from. Yeah, that was weird. She wants and nothing to do with him. She tells him to stay away from mum and her, doesn't she? Well, I think her mum wants nothing to do with him. Mm. I think she's quite fond of him. Okay. I, that's, that was a sense I got. Oh, but she's got but to listen to her mum, yeah. While she's still She's home, very yeah. um, reserved, isn't she? And studious, his daughter. And she tells him that her mum has got a new baby coming. The older cop is observing this meeting. and She's watching him with his own daughter. She watches him looking wistfully through a kid's clothing kind of store. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, obviously misses his kid. In the hotel that night, they're watching So Young with her baby. And I think one of them says that you never talk to it. You never talk to the baby. So they tell her to do that. And she says, you know, I don't know what to say. They tell her to thank it for being born. Is that like a Korean phrase? Is like a turn of phrase? I don't or? know. I don't know. I never really got to be that fluent in Korean to, to be able to tell you that. Richard. Understand the colloquialisms. Well, they turn all the lights out and lie down, and she goes around and thanks all of them for being born. Oh. Again, it's a real family moment, isn't it? I guess we have to get to the denouement, which is they're about to hand this she baby off. She creeps out at night. Oh, she creeps out at night, doesn't she? And she winds up in the back of the cop's car, and the older cop is suggesting, give yourself up now. You know, those guys can never be parents. If you're cooperative, you'll be out in three years. So. Mm. Diminished capacity manslaughter charge is what she said, I think, they're all going to meet this couple for a deal and they're stopped by that gangster guy. The elder, the elder chap says, 
I want to work with working. you now. Yeah. He isn't working with Dong So anymore. He knows, he doesn't suggests, he? He suggests going into business with the gangster guy. And then the two of them go off. What is it? How does he know all this? How does he know it's the right time to leave? What's his sense yeah. here? I don't know, actually. It's a good point. He does seem to have a sort of sixth sense. Hmm. Anyway, so he goes off with the guy who's been threatening to beat him up for the last two years. <laughs> Presumably to, to do more baby stuff, yeah? But the gangster winds up dead, doesn't he? Hmm. With next we see is a news report saying that they pulled a dead body off the subway line or something. The police say that they found 40 million in his hotel room. So we know that he's killed that guy and he hasn't even taken the money. Mm-hmm. Perhaps he didn't know where it was. We also see now time has moved on, a montage kind of thing has happened. The older cop has adopted Wu Sang, the little boy, hasn't she? Yeah. And we see her writing a letter to So Young in prison and is saying, you know, what's happening with the kid. And she's inviting So Young to come and meet her son and her. And her husband. And also yeah. Hei Jin and Dong So. And it seems there's been a transformation in the older cop that she's now creating this family of people once they get out of prison. <laughs> yeah. It's like she's recognised that they're, you know, there's a nice family here. Mm. And that's, that's the end. So it ends quite sweet, doesn't it? But a very sort of almost bittersweet. I've seen it described as a saccharine ending. Yeah. And arguably it is a little bit. But it's such a maudlin movie anyway, so I can't, we kind of need an upswing at the end. I, I don't think it's, it's, it's riding on sugar in us all the way through, is it? No, by no means. I really enjoyed it, though. I thought, you know, I normally complain about, gosh, you know, artsy movie, not enough dialogue, too slow. But this is one where everything about the pace was completely justified. It's a complex plot, and so you need a bit of time to digest it anyway. So I thought the pacing was spot on, and it's just sumptuously indulgent. You know, you can really bathe yourself in the scenery, and fabulously, almost lighthearted at times, road trip. Uh, and be contemplative about the big issues and, you know, the heavy heavy ideas that are being dealt with, yeah. It's subtly written, isn't it? Like mm. so many of the Korean movies that we've watched, it just takes a bit more care about the subject matter and it deals with these issues. It's not trying to moralise. There's no, like, black and white morality stuff going on. No. I don't think. I, th- I think that maybe the, there are conclusions that they might want you to come to, but they're very nuanced conclusions, aren't they? Yeah. I suppose one criticism is sex work does not does not come out very well from it. It's demonised as it so often is, isn't it? As being an intolerable and terrible situation. For the individual female. Yeah. Truthfully, I suppose it, it is for people who find that there's no alternative. And maybe that's what they were depicting. But it's a little bit of a, a standard trope, isn't it? But then again, would you make, about, would you make a movie about you know, things that are completely happy but uh, are mundane. Ordinary news doesn't get in the newspapers, does it? The other interesting thing about this, though, is we are very much encouraged, I think, to sympathise with So Young, the mother, mm-hmm. and yet she is a murderer. She's killed <laughs> she is, yeah. We don't really know details of how or why that happened. but And she's abandoned it baby. It's not really justifiable, is it? Abandoning the baby, I mean, that could be seen as a compassionate 
act of self-sacrifice. Well, not really. Way. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, it's career. It, you know, it's a developed modern state. There are adoption services. There are abandonment services. There's counselling and care services. You can just walk. The kid's going to be better off, isn't it? You know, she That's... can just walk in there. And there's no need to abandon a baby at a, at a baby box. I mean, oh, I see. She could have officially... She could have just walked into whatever the version is of citizens' advice and say, I'm thinking about abandoning my baby. Can you help me? They would have helped her, do you know what I mean? So I think we're given to understand that one reason she didn't want the baby to live was she didn't want it to grow up knowing its mother was a murderer. Right. Mm. So I think that's why she was putting it outside the baby box. Sort of hoping it would die. Not wanting it to die, but not wanting it to grow up with the legacy of her criminality, I suppose. But it's very complicated, isn't it? The characterizations are subtle. No, and, I really yeah. like the bipolar, bipolarity of the view of the police here. At one point, the older policewoman is being quite stubborn and saying, look, before the crime, it's, you know, welfare services. After the crime, this is to do with us, the police kind of thing. It's co- yeah, it's police, uh, yeah. And so we get this this light frisson between the two of them where there's kind of a dialectical debate going on through their actions about what police work should be and how far it should extend into care for victims or perpetrators, pretty pretty much put forward by the younger of the two. And I think that's interesting because the film doesn't really come out on either side, does it? I really love the younger cop as well. I thought she was great. Mm. I thought she was a really standout character. Not much to do, but I thought she was cool. And then, of course, we get we, we get this very, very almost Schrodinger's cat position of these baby dealers who, who through the film we come to like but ultimately that you know they're selling kids on the black market aren't they i mean nobody's angelic and nobody is devilish in this movie is it you know they're all very very real portrayals of real people flawed people but ultimately quite likable people and maybe that's the yeah. thing that kind of tugs it is like how can i like people who i wouldn't normally approve of clearly there are people desperate to adopt who for whatever reason, can't do it through official channels. Mm-hmm. Now, in some cases, that may be for very good reason, but in other cases, it may not be for such good reasons. And, you know, so arguably they're fulfilling a need and homing children in what could be loving homes, for mm-hmm. all we know. I don't know. It's a morally grey area all the ways around, isn't it? It's very difficult. Maybe if we reduce this film to a series of... Scores. Scores. Yeah, that's The a good world idea. will seem <laughs> Why don't you do acting then, Paul? Uh, brilliant acting. Uh, you know, the lead... Sung Kang-ho? Sung Kang-ho. Okay, we've seen him as the lead in The Host. Okay, and in other things, maybe. Richard is probably better at telling us that than me. And Parasite. Parasite. Was he in Parasite too? Wow. Oh, gosh, he was the driver. That driver, wasn't he? Yeah. Oh, he's my the gosh. dad in Parasite. I mean, he's superlative. I mean, he kind of plays... He doesn't play the same character, but there's, there's a connection. There are very similar themes in, in yeah. all of these... Korean movies we've watched this season. Similar themes, right? similar situations for characters, but he plays very different characters. But I kind of can see how he's channeling the same life experiences to portray these three different people, you know. They're all kind of lovable rogues, aren't they? In they're very being... compromised situations, yeah. 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 And humiliated by life, but somehow coming out dignified. Brilliant, you know. The police officer's great here, the two female police officers. And just generally the whole cast great i can't really fault the acting i've got to say it's a nine from me i will give it an eight and and agree with you on those points Mm -hmm. i mean if it comes through through a foreign language it has to be good acting doesn't it is why it's my feeling i agree yeah 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 yeah. you buy them don't you yes 
Even the little kid, actually. The kid was great. Quite adorable. Maybe it was just yeah. good produ- good directing. I don't mean the baby. I mean no, the, the kid, kid. Yeah. Maybe it was just good directing <laughs> when they let him be himself. I don't know. You never know with child actors what how they're making the magic happen with them. But yeah, definitely, he came alive on screen. What about screenplay and plot, Richard? Did it? Did it chuzz your berries? Yeah, very good, isn't it? Mm. It's again a, a genre-defying mix of road movie and. Oh yeah, it is genre-defying. Yeah. It's, it's almost slapdash at some points, isn't it? The like humour is light and kind of, at the same time, quite depressing. But it's, yeah, very dark subject matter, very dark subjects. Yeah, I've got to give it an eight. Yeah, genre-defying. I mean, it breaks all the rules, doesn't it, really? I don't really know how to describe, is there one word to describe this movie? No. I mean, there is quite a lot of pathos here. It is quite saccharine towards the end. But I, I just like the plot elements where he introduces just... Slight amounts of tension and slight reconfigurations to what the characters need to do. And it just really worked for me. So what did you give it, Rich? I gave it an eight. I'm going to go eight two on that, yeah. The plot. Now I'm really stuck as to what the next category should be. Road movie-itis. Road movie? I'll tell you one thing did that you I feel did a like... journey? Mm. Did you feel an emotional and spiritual in the broader sense of that word journey was being had by us the viewer and by the characters at the same time which I guess in the Karakian sense is what a road movie should be about yeah look we've said we've talked about how beautifully shot it is Mm -hmm. how Korea looks beautiful in it and of course they're spending a lot of time in cities as well I'm a city kid really more than a country Mm -hmm. kid the one thing I would say is having watched this I don't think I could have told you which city they were in at any point. Actually, Korean cities by... all look the same. Maybe that's true, but I... Okay, maybe that is true. What about the bit late at night uh, by the harbour? It's not the beach, the harbour where they eat some crab or fish in a, like a little restaurant with outdoor, outdoor tables and plastic chairs. That was very evocative, I thought. You know, with the, sure. the hanging fairy sure. lights and that kind of thing. The lapping, the lapping waves on the shore whilst, you know, people drink away their sorrows. Here's the thing. I actually, after the movie, I actually got Google Maps out. <laughs> you road trips Where yeah. the different places are. So cool. I guess that's a recommendation for a road trip movie. So I've got to give it a seven. Oh, I just thought it was very evocative of all kinds of things. But generally, you know, that kind of cathartic trip where you're leaving things behind and finding other things and making discoveries about yourself and other people. So I just think it... You know, outside the situation of baby trading, I just thought this was a very accessible set of emotions put forward that could be generalised to anybody's circumstances. So that, I think, is a broad appeal of this movie. It, it, we could all feel something for it. So for me, again, another great score here. Eight for road movie-itis. Boom. Now, it is an art movie, I yeah, It is, kind of. I don't know if it works out to be an art movie or not. But it's very thoughtful, so, at least. We usually have, like, a mood... Yes. ...sort of category for art. It definitely evokes emotions, doesn't it? Yes! So, without being provocative, I think. It nudges at your emotions, doesn't it? Tickles your uncomfort, discomfort kind of thing. More than anything, it's building a family out of a weird mishmash of people, isn't it? Yeah. I think that's where all of the like warm feelings come from. Mm-hmm. But it is a very emotional movie, so I've got to give it an eight. Yeah. I'm going to score a little bit lower here, seven, because it is quite maudling at times, and... It's patchy, right? But I just felt it kind of lingered a bit too long in the dark places, just a bit too much. I'm not saying movies shouldn't be kitchen sink or desperately real. I think they can be. So I'm going to give it a seven, but very good nonetheless. 
Paul gives it a seven for lingering too much on a murder. Okay, so let's talk about overall. Look, it's just a strong recommend. Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. I'm going to score it 8.5. I mean, it's an eight to a nine, isn't it? Yeah. Hmm. Well, let's not agree on scores, Richard. I think we have to have different scores. But who, who do you recommend it to? Who wants to see this movie? Parents? People no. who are childless and want parents? I don't know. And want children? I don't know, it seems cruel either way around, doesn't it? As someone who doesn't have kids and doesn't particularly want kids, I seem, seem like the ideal person to watch this film. <laughs> I don't think it's about kids necessarily. I think it's about when you've had, dis- when you've had real disappointments in life. This movie is about oh. looking at the real disappointments and then just not caring about them and moving on anyway. I think there is a, a the, there's a very Buddhist element to the philosophies or uh, underpinning kind of ambivalence to declarative statements about reality here. It's kind of like, hmm, well, that was that, and let's get back in the van kind of thing. So it's quite freeing, Namaste. I think, that perspective. Not that I'm recommending we go to yoga classes on the basis of that comment. Now, Paul, I think we are continuing our Korean adventure, aren't we? We are. Let's just make this a whole Korean season. Apologies to, apologies to viewers who discovered Korean movies way before we did. You know, it's an ongoing experience, it isn't is. it? It I is, mean, yeah. I think, you know, the Korean wave has shown that it isn't just about vapid k-pop is it you know there is or horror movies or horror movies there's That's japan as well as the wave is did you not watch any of these movies when you were in korea or japan or <laughs> no. in japan i think i watched what did i watch i watched i turned up to the movie and of course it's all in japanese there's no english there i watched jarhead like because that was an right. american movie that was out at the time okay which Dates my time in Japan, 2004, 2006, 2007. I can't remember, I can't remember when. Sounds worth it, yeah. And I also used to watch, like, what was on Saturday morning that wasn't G-Force? There was another one like G-Force, like a Japanese... Battle of the Planets. Yeah, Battle of Planets. I watched something that was very much like those, but made in 2005. And every time I went to that cinema, that's the only kind of anime that was on, like, kind of strange anime that wasn't very popular. And the, the cinema was always completely empty. So I, it's a fringe cinema or like a boutique cinema. I don't know. Uh, when I was in Korea, no, I had TV and I had lots of cable. I, mean, I had TV in Japan, but I didn't have cable TV. I just had like the standard boring NHK channels. So when I was in Korea, I had like a box and 300 TV channels. And a lot of the movies I watched there were Hollywood that's why this podcast got going, isn't it? Because you didn't bother watching any movies. Yeah, I have to catch up, yeah. And so here we are on catch-up mode. 200 and movies next week. Nearly. Which movie from Korea are we going to watch? We're going to watch... <laughs> it's not called telekinesis, so I'm assuming it must be called psychokinesis. Psychokinesis. <gasps> Phew. <laughs> so thank you for listening. Thanks ever so much, everybody. Thanks for the extra views. Psychokinesis. Until then... Ciao for now. Goodbye. See you on the next one. Bye. Thank you.